We will be in the New Testament book of Mark this morning. The book of Mark. Mark chapter number 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 of Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6, verses 1 through 6. Notice here, beginning in verse number 1 of Mark chapter 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses, and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. The passage that we just read is also recorded in Matthew chapter number 13, verses 53 through 58, and Luke chapter number 4, verses 16 through 30. We will reference those passages at least uh, on a few occasions in the message this morning. The title of the message is Jesus the Carpenter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we could be in your house. We rejoice in you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to serve and worship you. I pray that as we get ready to serve you through the preaching of the word, that you'd hold our attention on the word. Lord, give me clarity of thought to be able to present what it is that you want your people to hear and to feed upon today. And Lord, and in every way, in every word, in every work that we're involved in today, may you be lifted up and glorified. May you get honor to yourself through your dear Son, Christ Jesus, in this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus the carpenter. Jesus is the Savior, but he teaches us so much about life. This is the only passage in Scripture where it is stated that Jesus worked a secular occupation. It makes sense, does it not? Jesus would not lead an idle life, expecting others to support his needs, as he prepared for his three years of public ministry. The vast majority of Jesus' life, 33 years old when he was murdered, was spent in this secular occupation. Now Jesus here in our text, just by way of context, Jesus has returned to Nazareth. Nazareth is the place where he was conceived of the Holy Ghost and is the place of his education. Now you would think that as he returns, this would be somewhat of a triumphal return. Jesus has been 
healing the sick and casting out devils and preaching the word of God in various locations and no doubt his fame had sounded not only abroad but back to Nazareth but instead of a triumphant return he is scoffed at and rejected in fact as we read here in Mark chapter number 6 they were not enthusiastic about the works that he did they were offended at him why? why was this the case? now the answer I'm going to give you might shock you it was because of his secular occupation as a carpenter now you say wait a minute that doesn't make any sense well I'm going to, I'm going to show you as we get into the word of God what was the big deal? What was it about the fact that Jesus was a carpenter? Well, we're going to talk about that and answer that this morning. In doing so, I hope that we will be reminded of deep spiritual truths. You say, well, how can we get deep spiritual truths out of a message entitled, Jesus the Carpenter? Well, we can, I hope. And I trust that you'll agree after we're done. But we also we also are reminded and learn of practical applications from Jesus' secular occupation as a carpenter, Jesus the carpenter. Now, our text reveals three insights into Jesus the carpenter that I want us to discuss and consider this morning three insights. The first insight, we see the scope of his humanity. We see that in Jesus the carpenter. Secondly, this second insight, we see Jesus's submissive humility. It is revealed in Jesus the carpenter. And then thirdly, we see this insight, the fact that Jesus was a carpenter was a source of his humiliation. Three insights that we see this morning as we're thinking and discussing Jesus the carpenter. The first insight that we mention is this. We see the scope of Jesus' humanity. The scope of his humanity. Humanity is defined by Webster as the peculiar nature of man by which he is distinguished from other beings. Now, if you think about that definition of humanity, the conclusion that you make is that thus Christ, by his incarnation, was in fact invested with humanity. He, Jesus was a person. Jesus was a human being. And so, in discussing Jesus the carpenter, we see this first insight, the scope of his humanity. And when we think about the scope of Jesus' humanity and who he was as a person, what it was that distinguished him from other beings, we begin by looking at his business of his occupation. His business of his occupation. And of course, we're talking this morning about Jesus the carpenter. And I suppose I should stop here and 
let you know, and you have deduced already by the insights that I've mentioned we'll study, when it says in verse number 3, when the Bible says, is not this the carpenter, I don't believe it is referring to the fact that he's the carpenter's son. They did refer to the fact that he's the carpenter's son, but I also believe it's very provable. In fact, the not just the preponderance of evidence, but beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus himself was involved in the secular occupation of being a carpenter. Now, when we think about the business of his occupation, it leads us to, to think about Jesus and, and what he was involved with in, in being a carpenter. It leads us to understand, first of all, our expectation to labor. Our expectation to labor. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus did what for, for his adult life prior to entering into public ministry? He worked as a carpenter. Is not this the carpenter? Okay? And that ought to lead us to understand that if Jesus worked and held down a secular job and a secular occupation, then we ought to see from that the expectation that we do as well. Now, I told you that we're going to look at some deep spiritual truths, but we also learned some practical applications, or rather we're reminded of some practical applications that serve us well. There is an expectation that we are to be involved in labor. It goes all the way back to the garden. The curse was not on work after Adam uh, willingly partook of the fruit and, and Eve, beguiled and seduced by the devil, partook of the fruit. Uh, the curse was not work. The curse was how that work was going to take place by the sweat of your brow you know, and thorns and thistles and so forth and so on. But remember, when the Lord made man and placed him in the garden, what did he say? We find it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in, into the garden of Eden for what? To dress it and to keep it. And so work was a part of man's humanity from the very onset of his creation. It's not a curse. Work is not a curse. Work is something that God expects us to be involved in. In fact, our country would do well today to go back and learn some biblical principles. And how about this as it relates to work? As Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10, Paul wrote, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. There is an expectation that we would be involved in work. Folks, we see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is not this the carpenter? Did not Jesus during his time here on this earth, prior to entering into his public ministry, engage himself in labor and work and a secular occupation? He did. What makes us any different? Why should it be any different for us? In fact, Proverbs 14, verse 23 reads, In all labor there is profit. In all labor there is profit. And so, when we look at the scope of Jesus' humanity, we begin by considering the business of His occupation. He was, in fact, in an occupation that was very profitable 
to others around him, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. He was not leading an idle life, just hanging out in the wilderness, you know, and reading all day and so forth. He was working and he was laboring, and that leads us to see that there is an expectation to labor. It's a practical lesson, but we learn that from the life and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see our expectation to labor, and then we see Christ's exemplary lesson. Christ's exemplary lesson. Now, Jesus was apparently trained as a carpenter by who? By his father, Joseph. In Matthew chapter number 13, and we're going to look at that verse a little bit later on, but in Matthew chapter number 13, in Matthew's account, they say, is not this the carpenter's son? Well, whose whose son was Jesus? We know he's the son of God, but but on earth, who was classified as as his father? It was Joseph. And Joseph was apparently a carpenter. And you know what the pattern was in biblical days is that you followed in your father's footsteps and you adopted the family trade. And the family trade apparently here was being a carpenter. And so Jesus here on this earth trained under his father Joseph and for all of those years from the time that he was a youth all the way up to the age of 30 when he entered into his public ministry, he left us an exemplary lesson uh, of our expectation to labor. Jesus was involved in secular labor. Uh, old preacher by the name of Green wrote this, and I'm going to give you a couple quotes from him in the, uh, in the uh, body of the message this morning. But listen to what Green wrote about Jesus' exemplary lesson that he left us in being involved in secular labor as a carpenter. Green writes, If labor was first imposed, it is turned truly into a blessing by this example of him who thus wrought. He's talking about Jesus. The occupancy of a sphere of lowly industry by Christ henceforth consecrates it as a suitable occupation of time. It is profitable. It is healthful. It saves from bad effects of indolence or laziness. It is a source of pure and useful enjoyment. Green is writing about all that is right and proper about our physical, secular labor, and it is exactly what Jesus shows us in his employment. We see Christ's exemplary lesson. Here's an example that we should follow. We should follow in Jesus' steps. If you are able... Now look, let's not not, uh, think that we're covering all that there is to cover about work and labor this morning. Obviously, there are stipulations and restrictions and so forth and so on that we put on work and labor as to who should work and where we should work and so forth and so on. But the idea this morning is this. If Jesus labored in, and I'm going to use this term and explain a little bit later on, in the lowly work as a carpenter, should we not learn from that and be involved in industrious labor here on this. It's a very practical lesson. And it's a lesson that we see from Jesus the carpenter. This is the first insight into Jesus the carpenter. The scope of his humanity. He's a living being here on this earth. He's a person. He has humanity. And what's he do during his time here on this earth before entering into his public ministry? He's laboring as a carpenter. And so we see the business of his occupation. And we secondly see through Jesus' labor as a carpenter, 
that our work is a benefit to others. It is a benefit to others. Uh, in Proverbs 14 and verse number 23 that we just read, uh, again, I'll just uh, give you insight into that. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. In all labor there is profit. So, so it, there's a benefit to others through our work and through our labor. The first benefit is through commerce or the production of goods and services. When you work, if you're involved in a labor that is honorable and industrious, you are producing goods and services that are helpful and beneficial to others. Are you not? You know, we might joke about some of the folks that do work that we wouldn't do. Hey, I would, I would question your uh, humility if you do that. I was talking with uh, Brother Steve the other night, and we we're talking for whatever reason. I don't know what got us on this. We we're talking about, you know, the trash pickup in our neighborhood, you know. And I was saying, yeah, I saw the guy, you know, saw the guy pick up the can and take it, and it, you know, and the truck lifted it back in. You know, you might you might say, huh, garbage man. Huh. I'd never do the job of a garbage man. My son grew up to be a garbage man. What a horrible job. Well, let me ask you this. Who's going to take your trash and put it in the, in the truck? Huh? You know, the, the guy at work that comes in and takes out, empties your trash can. I'm sure always, I, I always take extra time to, if I'm there when he comes in, to thank him and see how his day's going and appreciate him. Because you know what? Who's going to do that? And so we think of, of occupations that, oh, I would, that's beneath me. I would never do that. Hey, these are a benefit to others and society as a whole. Now listen to Robertson's word pictures as A.T. Robertson describes the Greek word that's used for carpenter. Okay, listen to this. The word tekton comes from tekin or tekio, which means to beget or to create a craft or an art. It is a very old word from Homer down. It was originally applied to the worker in wood or builder with wood like our carpenter. Then it was used of any artisan or craftsman in metal or in stone as well as in wood and even of sculpture. It is certain that Jesus worked in wood. Justin Martyr speaks of plows, yokes, etc. made by Jesus. He may also have worked in stone and may even have helped build some of the stone synagogues in Galilee like that in Capernaum. Now think about this. We, we don't think of Jesus as a carpenter. We don't think of him involved in a secular occupation. But Jesus involved as a carpenter made how many plows and so forth that were used by others in the plowing of their field, fields and in the field of agriculture. And if he, in fact, was involved in stonework and building, helping build the synagogues, were these not a benefit to others around him? The point is that when we are involved in our secular labor, it is a benefit to others, first of all, through commerce, through the production of goods and services. It's a very practical application. Have you ever thought of how what you do benefits others? You should. And if what you do doesn't benefit others, then maybe you're in the wrong field. Maybe you ought to consider going into something else if it's not a benefit to others. 
R. Green, who I, Richard Green, that I uh, quoted just a few moments ago, he goes on in talking about Jesus' work, and he says that it was a worthy service to others. The products of industrial toil, especially of handicraft, are serviceable in the highest degree. Without them, the comforts of large communities must be greatly impaired. He, therefore, who works with his hands the thing that is good, is a useful and honorable servant of his race. And I think that sometimes we overlook that. Sometimes we forget the fact that Jesus was involved in a secular occupation here on this earth. And, and as we think about that, we, we get insight into the, the scope of his humanity. He didn't just walk around as some superhuman being, although he was God manifest in the flesh. He communicated with people. He was involved in commerce. He held the occupation of a carpenter. And I said he communicated with people. That leads us to our second point about how that Jesus' occupation was beneficial to others, not only through commerce, but through communication, through preaching and teaching spiritual truths. Now back in our text, let's read verse 2 again. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 2. Now watch. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now I want you to think about Jesus' preaching. Jesus' preaching and ministry, because he did more than preach, he healed the sick, he cast out devils, he performed miracles, all of these were an indication uh, and, and uh, they verified the fact and confirmed the fact that he was the Messiah that was to come. And yet, what was the response? They were offended at him. They were offended. They hear him preach and then what's the very next uh, phrase in, in verse number 3? Is not this the carpenter? They hear Jesus preach and they say, wait a minute, this guy's just a carpenter. He has a lowly trade from a lowly family. Who is this guy to come in and preach to us? In fact, if you, if you go to Luke's version, this is the time where Jesus went into the synagogue and took the Holy Scriptures and began to read out of, out of Isaiah chapter number 61 about the Messiah. And Jesus said, this day is this Scripture fulfilled. And so... Here they are, they're offended at Jesus, that Jesus claims to be the Messiah, that Jesus is preaching to them, and they missed the prophet that was a, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T, but P-R-O-F-I-T. They missed the prophet that came from Jesus' preaching and teaching spiritual truths because of his work as a carpenter. Now, did you get that? They missed the prophet of Jesus' preaching and teaching spiritual truths because of his work as a carpenter. Now, think of the multitude of ways in Jesus' public ministry that he drew on his occupation as a carpenter. And I'm just going to name a few, and you'll remember these, I trust, if you know the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus talked about the moat and the beam in the eye? Those are terms that a carpenter would recognize. They're carpenter terms. Do you remember when he's talked about None of you can add one cubit to your stature. The measure cubit is something that a carpenter would have used in measuring. You know, and if you've done any woodwork, what's that phrase we have to abide by? Measure twice and cut once. 
Measure twice. Because, man, you're, you're bound to mess something up in your measurements. So Jesus would have been familiar with that. How about when he talked about the foundation of houses and this foundation is built on sand. Jesus, as a carpenter, would have known how houses were constructed and what a proper foundation was. Remember when he talked about the guy that had so much that he was going to go pull down his barns and do what? Build more. And then we think about Jesus talking about the ones that were going to build a tower and they were not able to finish it because they didn't count the cost before they started doing what? Building. Jesus called on all of these references. What did Jesus say about His church? He said, I will build my church. He said as far as where He was going when He left this earth, He said in His Father's house are many mansions and I'm doing what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. He referred to labor and work constantly in his public ministry. Now what do we get from that? That Jesus' public ministry was in fact aided by his secular occupation. And do you know that in your witness and in your work for the Lord, you can be more effective if you draw on your secular profession. Now here's the problem. If you can't draw on your secular profession to aid you in witnessing to anybody, you're probably in the wrong secular profession. You probably, you probably, you're probably not where you should be. If you're selling liquor to others, you're not where you should be. God doesn't. That's not an honorable, industrious profession. You're literally putting the bottle to your neighbor's mouth. Read it in the book of Habakkuk, chapter two, and verse number fifteen, where God judges that. And so. We're talking this morning about insights into Jesus as, as a carpenter, the carpenter, and we see the first insight uh, as it relates to the Lord, the scope of His humanity. He's very God, and yet He takes upon Himself this body, and He works a secular occupation as a carpenter. The scope of His humanity. That leads us to the second insight, His submissive humility. Now, Jesus, in his work as a carpenter, teaches us humility even in his earthly occupation. Now, think about this. We've already talked about Jesus' humanity, but now we move into his submissive humility. In Jesus' submissive humility, we see, first of all, his condescension in becoming flesh. Now, in order for Jesus to, to be a carpenter, he had to first what? Be a person. And be a man or a young child to be trained in that field. This speaks to Jesus' condescension in becoming flesh. Do not forget, and this is where we get into some deep spiritual truth. Do not forget that Jesus was God come in the flesh. That Jesus Christ is Jesus, or is God the Son. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God, a triune being, as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you can explain that, then I'm going to sit down and turn the pulpit over to you because that's a deep spiritual truth. And you want to talk about a deeper spiritual truth? The fact that Jesus the Son, with the Father in glory, comes down to this earth and takes upon Himself a physical body. It's called the hypostatic union of Christ. It is, he is God manifested in the flesh, and yet He is very man. He's very God. He's very man. Again, if you can explain that, I will sit down 
and you may, I, I yield the floor to my uh, esteemed colleague. Because that's a deep spiritual truth. I don't understand that. But I believe it. What did John write about Jesus? In John chapter 1 and verse number 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse number 14, John writes, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What are we talking? We're talking about Jesus' submissive humility in working as a carpenter. It begins with His condescension in becoming flesh. We've read Philippians chapter number 2, verses 7 and 8 many times. I bet we've never read it in thinking about Jesus' secular occupation as a carpenter. Listen to this. Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8. But He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And, having, and, and, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now we often think about this as it only relates to Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross. But do you understand that in Jesus making himself of no reputation and taking upon the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men, this would entail his work as a carpenter. Do you understand that? Jesus didn't come as royalty. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come and say, okay, I'm going to take a body and I'll be in the likeness of men, but you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to work as that. You're going to have to make me a king and then I'll come. No, no. Jesus humbled himself. Do you see his humility in even the secular work that he involved himself in. We see his condescension in becoming flesh, but then we see his compliance with the family craft. What was the family craft? Well, let's turn over again to Matthew, and I say again, but we haven't turned there yet, but we've mentioned it multiple times, but let's turn over to Matthew uh, chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. And notice verse number 53. We're just going to read 53 down through verse 58 and we'll stop where we need to stop. Matthew 13, verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence and he was coming to his own country, that he was in Nazareth. He taught then in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and, who, and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? What was the family business? What was Joseph? What was Joseph's occupation? He was a carpenter. And then read on. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joses and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So here, as Mark records it, they say, is not this the carpenter's son? This was the family business. Joseph was a carpenter, and as I've already alluded to, the, the custom then was that the son would take up the work of the father, and he would father, follow in the father's footsteps. Now, I mean to offend no carpenter. And I like carpenter work. I like to build stuff. I like to work on stuff. 
it, it, to me, it's just it's relaxing uh, to get out there and hammer some stuff and drill some stuff and get the power tools out, you know, and the air compressor and the nailer. And I like that stuff. But I'm going to tell you this. Carpentry certainly was an honest and industrious occupation. But it is not one from which you would expect to find royalty. How many home builders do you know today that go to work in a three-piece suit and keep everything clean? I'm I'm not knocking carpentry. I love carpentry. It is honest and an industrious occupation, but it is not one in which you would expect to find royalty. In fact, we have a problem today with our with our, our, our parents raising their children, you know, and, oh, I don't want my son to do that. I don't want my son to be a plumber or a carpenter or anything like that. I want my son to go to school and do this. And then your son goes to school and parties for five years, and then you wind up paying it, and pretty soon we're all going to wind up paying it when Biden somehow gets his student debt repayment thing that goes through. Forgiveness. Student debt forgiveness. There's nothing at all wrong with being a carpenter. It is honest and industrious work. And yet, think about Jesus. He is God manifest in the flesh. He comes to this earth, and can you imagine this? And I don't mean to be blasphemous this morning, but when, when, when the Father and Jesus, the Son, are contemplating what it is that He would do here on this earth, would you think carpentry would be the answer? In fact, think about this. Jesus goes from the creator of all things, all things, to the creator of agricultural instruments, plows, yokes for oxen and cattle, harrows, which were a tool that they used then where they'd have a couple pieces of timber put together and nails driven through it, and they'd use that to to, to plow the field. These were all made of wood. So Jesus, get this, Jesus goes from this. In Colossians 1 verse 16, the Bible says in Colossians 1 verse 16, For by Him were all things created. This is talking about Jesus. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and... For him. Jesus goes from that to dwelling in a fleshly, physical body, working as a carpenter. What humility. What an example for us. He didn't say, oh, you know what, that's beneath me. I'm not going to do that job because that job is beneath me. How many people do you know today that need a job and they won't do this or that because it's beneath them? Wow. Jesus' submissive humility. Jay Johnson, who knows, maybe it was James Johnson. Uh, Jay Johnson, a preacher uh, from the 1800s, wrote this. Whether impelled by the necessities of mere existence or by the necessities of position and spirit, it may be said of all, men must work. Our Lord, therefore, came near unto unto us when he entered the workshop. But as the great majority must gain their daily bread by manual labor, 
he entered even into that condition as the village carpenter of Nazareth. Had he been born in a palace and to a throne, or even into the estate of a wealthy merchant, he would have been separated, not in his feeling, but in theirs, by a great gulf from the great majority of men. So there was a purpose in Jesus taking this lowly position as a carpenter. How much interaction does the President of the United States have with the common man? And of course, our, the current president has less than most presidents, but you don't usually find the President of the United States walking down Main Street in O'Fallon, Illinois. And yet Jesus, there was a purpose in what he did. You know what? No job is below us. And there are deep spiritual reasons that the Lord might place us where he places us. Not only to be a benefit to others in providing goods and services that benefit our community and society as a whole, but putting us where we can be used of him and by him. We see Jesus' submissive humility. And then the third, the third insight we see from Jesus the carpenter is we see that his work as a carpenter was a source, a source of his humiliation. Now, Jesus should have been reverenced and honored for who he was. They saw him do these mighty works. They saw him cast out devils. And what did they say? Oh, the Messiah's come. No. No, they said, oh, he hath a devil. By the prince of devils, Beelzebub, he does this. We're talking about that in our Sunday afternoon study on the Holy Spirit and the unpardonable sin. They did not receive him and reverence him and honor him as king of kings, who he truly was and as the Messiah. They humiliated him. They said, and I at the beginning I said, what was the reason for this treatment of Jesus? And I said, it's because he was a carpenter. And you say, well, it goes a little bit more in depth. than that. Of course it does, but it's because he was a carpenter. Now what? Let, read these verses again in Mark chapter number 6. We're not going to read verse 2 again. We already read that. He comes into the synagogue. He's preaching and teaching. They, he's from Nazareth, man. They know who he is. They know he's a carpenter. And, and yet they've also heard about all these mighty works that he's done. Now watch verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and of Jude and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They say, this guy's only a carpenter. He can't, he, what, who is he to preach to us? He's just a carpenter. If he, had, if he had come as a king, it probably would have been a little bit different. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But he was a carpenter. And might I add, with no disrespect to our Lord, he was just a carpenter. He was just a carpenter. And because he was a carpenter, they were offended at him that he thought that he somewhat could preach these truths. And they said, well, if he's doing all these miracles, it must be by Beelzebub. Because ain't no carpenter going to come from God and be the Messiah and the King. That's true. That's what they thought. I don't mean that it's true that, that, that the Messiah wouldn't come as a, as a carpenter, but it's true that that's what they thought that he would. Now, when we think about the fact that Jesus as a carpenter is the source of his humiliation, we begin by talking about their rejection of Jesus. Their rejection of Jesus. They did not receive his ministry and his teaching 
And they did not accept all the works that he had done as being from God. They rejected him. Why did they reject him? Well, we've already said it. Because of his occupation. Now, they believed that nobody that was sent from God to do these mighty works, especially the Messiah, would be a carpenter. They could not see that. You remember in John chapter number 6, when Jesus had turned, had multiplied the fishes and the loaves, and, uh, and they said, hey, you know, we want you to stay and be our king. They thought that the Messiah was going to come as an earthly king and set up his earthly kingdom. They didn't think that the Messiah would come as a lowly carpenter. They thought the Messiah would come as a king. Now, the Jews had a tradition. The Jews' tradition, and I'm going to read you a quote here, and I'll give you the reference later on if you want, but, but the Jews' tradition was this. I'm going to read this. They do not appoint to be a king or a high priest, one that has been a butcher or a barber or a bathkeeper or a tanner, not because they were unfit, but because their business was mean and the people would always despise them. Carpentry would fall into that. They're not going to make a carpenter a king. You remember, I think it was in Ohio. Remember Joe the plumber? Who's Joe the plumber? You can't, you can't talk to me about politics, Joe. You're just a plumber. Well, you know what? Joe the plumber was wiser than 98% of the politicians that run for office. Jesus was a carpenter. And they rejected him because of his occupation. The Jews would never admit that somebody who was only a carpenter could be the Messiah and King of Kings. They rejected him. They were offended at him. They rejected him because of his occupation, but they also rejected him because of his family. They said, literally here, they said, is not this the carpenter, this is verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and of Jude and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. Now, it's not only his occupation, but it's, it's his family. You know, Jesus was not born on the right side of the tracks. They're saying, well, who is this guy? We know his family. Who's his family? Who is this guy to be preaching the gospel? His dad, his dad worked 30 years at a, at a tire factory. He's not from royalty. He's not, man, listen, to be, to be the president today or to be in office as a senator uh, or I'm not, I'm not going to make any John Fetterman jokes this morning out of respect to John Fetterman, but uh, you, know, you, you, have to, you have to be from the right background. This guy, we know his family. His family, not only is he a lowly carpenter, but his dad was a lowly carpenter. In fact, uh, in, in Luke's version, in Luke chapter 4, Luke says that the people said, is not this Joseph's son? And they didn't mean it as a good thing. They meant it derogatorily, like, yeah, Joseph was only a carpenter, and, and he's only a carpenter. There's no way this guy could be anything that would be beneficial to us. Jay Orton, another old preacher, wrote, A person's origin, his business and circumstances in life, often occasion prejudices against him, against his most wise, useful, and instructive observations. Such prejudices are very absurd, unreasonable, and mischievous. The condescension of the Son of God in submitting to such humiliation 
demands our admiration and praise. And it's true. They wanted to humiliate the Lord. They scoffed at the Lord. You want us to think that you're sent from God, that you're the Messiah? You're just a carpenter. We know your family. Your family is nothing. They rejected him because of this. I want you to notice, and we'll close with this, the results of their treatment of Jesus. We've already said it, but number one, they were displeased at Jesus. The meaning of the word in offended in verse number three is to be displeased and indignant. It connotes an intense displeasure. They were offended at Jesus. They were displeased with Jesus. And then that displeasure led to disrespect. Look at verse number 4 at their disrespect. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Jesus recognizes the disrespect. And He says, I'm sent from God. I preached a message before, and Jesus is referred to as prophet, priest, and king. I preached a message on Jesus as prophet. And Jesus says a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. And I want you to notice that second, that second category, right? So in verse 4 it says, He's not, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. And notice it says, and among his own kin. You know, that's not in Matthew's version. That's only here with Mark. And among his own kin and in his own house. Apparently, the scoffing and displeasure of the other people led to Jesus' own family and his own kinfolk respecting him. How hurtful it is to be rejected and disrespected by your own family. You say, oh, well, well, preacher, you know, your kids grow up and they got their own beliefs and they go to their own church. Yeah, it's hurtful. It's a rejection. Oh, you shouldn't be so thin-skinned. Okay, well, critique me. I am. Jesus preached the truth. And His own family rejected Him. His own family disrespected Him. Those that you would think would have His back joined in with the others. His own kin. Tremendous humility by the Lord and yet also tremendous humiliation. We're talking about the results of their treatment. They were displeased. It led to disrespect. And that, in turn, resulted in a deterioration of what Jesus could do. Look at verses 5 and 6. And he could, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around and he went, and he went round about the villages teaching. Isn't it amazing? If we were to say to you that... The only result from the preaching was that a few sick go folk got healed. If that were to be said today, man, people would go crazy. Oh, the sick got healed. But Jesus is talking about preaching the truth and people's souls being saved. And he says here, uh, he could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then this deterioration of what Jesus could do ultimately led to their desire to destroy Him. Their desire to destroy Him. Turn with me to Luke, and we're going to close with Luke's words. Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4, verses 28 through 30. 
I told you that Luke records this in verses 16 through 30. But notice Luke chapter number 4, verses 28 through 30. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, and they might, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his, went his way. They were so infuriated with the Lord that they really wanted to destroy him. This is how much they were offended at the Lord. And I say to you again, because he's a carpenter. Because <laughs> he's only a carpenter. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come to be an earthly king. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He came the first time to give his life a ransom for many and to die on that cross, offering himself up, yielding himself up to be murdered by the Jews. And it was for the purpose of him saving his people from their sins. Now, during his earthly ministry, he worked as a lowly carpenter, a very productive an industrious occupation, but not a king. But you know what? For these people, he's coming again as a king. He's coming again. And this time, he's not coming as a carpenter. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And I hope today that we know him as our savior so that when he returns, if we're still alive, he will call our name and we will go up to meet him in the clouds in the air And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If we've already passed and this body has died, we're going to rise up and go be with the Lord. And then He's going to come back in the second phase of His second coming. And He's going to physically set up His kingdom where He is going to reign on the throne of His father David for a thousand years and then there's going to be a new earth. This old earth is going to be purged and revamped and then He's going to reign eternally as king of kings. I hope that you're not misled by the fact that Jesus was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. But what a lesson we learn from Jesus in his work and occupation as a carpenter. Jesus the carpenter. Three insights. The scope of his humanity, his submissive humility, and the fact that he was a carpenter, a source of his humiliation. And yet, we love him. Because we know Him not only as a carpenter, but as our Savior who died for our sins. Let's pray.